Today, though, we're finishing off this whole thing on health, and, and the title of the message today is Turning to Health. And you got that picture of the, of the temple up there? If you pop that up. I'm going to pray, and we're going to step in. God, I just thank you that you um, have health for us when we turn your way. And I just pray today, God, as we dig into your word, oh God, I, we don't need to hear another word from Jeremy. We need to hear another word from God. And so God, I just pray that in all these words that I say, um, I pray that whatever's, God, whatever's Jeremy be left behind, whatever's you, we pray that we would hear. We just say like Samuel, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Can we just say that together? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. God, open your, your word to our hearts. Open our spirits to what you have to say. God, we ask, we just make a space here and say, God, we don't just give you our attention, we give you the room. God, come and have your way here. And everyone said? Amen. Second Chronicles chapter four. If you got a Bible, go to Second Chronicles chapter four. And if you can not put the verse up, you just leave it on the slide of the temple. That'd be awesome. Second Chronicles chapter four. David, who was king, is now no longer king. Now his son, Samuel, is king. Before David died, King David died, he's on his deathbed and he turns to his son. He says, son, I wanted to build God a house, a beautiful temple, but God told me no. So what I've done is I've prepared all this stuff, all this money, all this resources, all these things, and I've set it up so that you can build a temple for God. So David dies, Samuel, Sol not Samuel, Solomon becomes king, and he starts working on this temple. And get this, as he started to build it, it took him seven years to build it. In modern day cost, this building, they estimate cost between three to six billion dollars. Three to six billion dollars? Can you imagine a building costing three to six billion dollars today? And it makes sense because the thing was covered in gold. Every, all, of the, all of the furnishings on the inside of it were covered in gold. The, the doors to the inner house were, were golden doors. The, the, the altar outside, that thing was made of pure bronze. I mean, we're talking weighty, amazing materials. There was something like, let's see, how many people were there? There was, there was thousands of people. There was 30,000 Israelites who worked on this thing. 150,000 Canaanite people, Phoenician artists, craftsmen from Tyre. This thing was so expensive. I was looking this morning, there was a billionaire actually in Brazil that decided to make a replica of this. If you type it online, you'll see it. Not quite the same, but he decided he was going to build himself a temple. So and it's, it's their church, but it's this huge thing. And it's this massive building. Actually, I think a lot bigger than this one, but it did not cost $3 billion dollars. And so Samuel does, Solomon, I keep saying Samuel, Solomon makes this temple. He has it face eat. He costs three to six billion dollars. And then he completes it. And then they wait a year. And they waited a year because the very next year was this year called the year of Jubilee. It's the year of celebration. So they waited a year and then they came and they decided to dedicate the temple. And that's where we go to chapter five. You see, everything in that temple was made of pure gold. And here's, here's the whole reason. You're like, why are we talking about a temple? Why are we talking about all this? 
Because Jesus said, God said in the New Testament, he said, look, you, the, the place where God dwells is no longer a building, but you are the temple. God's people are the temple. Your heart is the temple of God. The book of Hebrews says that all of these things, the, the, art, the, the bronze altar, the, the holy place, the candlesticks, the tables, all this stuff was a type and a shadow of a, of a hidden reality that God was trying to show to us. And so here they are. God says, I want you, you can make this temple. You make these, these things, a thing called a laver, which is that giant bowl of water in it. That was the place of washing. You have the, you have the, the altar and that, that represents, if you look in the New Testament, that represents the cross and how Jesus is the sacrifice. And so you have the cross, you have the place of washing. How many know our minds need to get washed? Our brains need to get washed. And then they enter into this place called the holy place and there was these candlesticks and these candlesticks represent the only light that's in the building and that represents the Holy Spirit. You can't read the Bible, you can't know God, you can't hear anything unless the Holy Spirit helps you. And so when we come and we seek God each day and there's these candlesticks represent when you enter into that place of seeking God, you say, Spirit of God, help me read this. Spirit of God, would you give me wisdom for today? God, I don't know what to do with this and this and this. And the Spirit of God is described like this. The Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding. God, I don't understand my wife. Please help me. The Spirit of counsel. God, I don't know what to do with this situation. The Spirit of of power, the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Man, I don't want to step into anything wrong. I I want to have a wisdom to know what's going on. The Spirit, the Spirit of holiness a separateness unto God. And so the candlestick represented that. And then there was these tables on the inside called the table of showbread. And that was the place the, the, the priests would eat this bread and the bread represented God's word. And so when we come to God, this daily pursuit of seeking him, God has word, a living word for you today. In other words, all of this Bible is for us, each one today. But I believe God wants to say something specific to us each and every day. He might be, as you read your word, he might say, I want you to trust me. And you read the word in Proverbs where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. I'll direct your path. Now that's always true, but, t- but Thursday this week, it might be especially true. You need to trust the Lord. And then at the very end was this thing called the altar of incense. And that was the place of just the worship of God. And this temple shows a pattern of how we approach the heart of God. We come because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, his altar. Man, Jesus, thank you that you accept me. I can walk in. We come to the place of washing. God, touch my brain, touch my hands. God, wash me from the weak and all the stuff. We enter into the place and say, Holy Spirit, Would you illuminate to me your word and your ways, what you have for me? I walk in, I come to the table of showbread and I eat of God's word and it's so good, it nourishes my heart, convicts me, strengthens me. And then I come to the place of worship and I say, God, you're good, you're holy, you're righteous. And at the end of all of that was this place called the the most holy place. That was the holy place, the most holy place. And there was this big veil and behind that was what they called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, what they say, was the seat, the seat of God's presence. All of these things were 
an example to God's people in the Old Testament and to us of what God was trying to show. He wanted to draw us near to him. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, you're the temple. Everything is prepared in this place that they might minister to God. This guy named N.T. Wright, he's a, a theologian of a type, and he, he, he described temples like this. He said, in the ancient world, everybody knew what a temple was. A temple was a thin place. And what they meant by that is this place where heaven and earth met. It's a place where they would go in to meet with God, and they would go in and God would meet with them. And so temples were seen in these amazing places. God is there. Heaven has come down in this space. And now God is saying, Jesus says to us, it's not a physical location, but it's your heart and it's my heart. That now we are, not just individually, but corporately, we are the temple of God. And that thin place isn't just some physical location on the map, but God says, I want to dwell within you. That people come in contact with you and God's presence is there to minister life to them. That Bellingham is impacted. Why? Because he dwells on the inside. He's with us. He's in us. And we get to minister to him and him to us. At the very end of this thing, so, so they have this temple. They, they build it. They wait a year because the year of Jubilee is next. And then they come in and it said this, that they brought the ark, which was the very representation of God's presence. They took it on these poles and they trucked it into the most holy place. They went behind the curtain that was super thick and they put it in there dropping it down, all the priests go in. And I think here's the point that God was saying as this went in. Without his presence, it's just a nice building. Without the spirit of God in our midst, we're just doing stuff. Got expensive gold and nice architecture. We're doing a lot of good rituals. But the reality and the question is, Unless the Spirit of God is with us, what are we doing? A lot of people say we can do a lot of good things. There's, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said, he said this, you know, like, I, I know this guy at my work, and he's, like, super happy. And, man, I know Christians that seem more depressed than that guy. How is that possible? And I, I really believe that we can, it says in the New Testament, we can have a form of godliness. Do the church thing. Do the right stuff. Work really hard to please God. And yet, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the hope? I also think this is not a complicated process. It's not like God is playing hide and seek and saying, well, I guess you missed it. Maybe you'll figure it out. No, the Spirit of God desires to reveal His presence. He wants to dwell with us. And in fact, when we confess Him, He does. But I know that God desires that we will be a river of life that would flow out of us. So in, in chapter five, they, they come and it says that all of the elders came and they brought the ark and they had sacrifices beyond number. They, it even says this, it says that they consecrated themselves, all the priests, they went and they dropped, they dropped the ark off and it says that they could see the poles of the ark, ark 
the poles of the ark on the outside in the most ho- in the holy place. All the priests are in there. They put them. They put the ark in there. And then it says they came out. And in the courtyard, by the ark, in front of here, there was a hundred and twenty Levites. You know who the Levites are? Those are the worshipers. And there was a hundred and twenty of them. So as all of these, as all of these priests come out after dropping off the ark, which represented God's presence, in the most holy place, they come out, and they come out to these hundred and twenty. these 120 musicians and singers with cymbals and trumpets and instruments. And they're all doing this as the priests come out. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They come out to a choir of men singing, for he is good, I don't know how it goes, his steadfast love endures forever. They come out to worship. Now, they do this whole thing. They bring the ark in. They, they sing that song. And then it says this in verse 13. It says, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And it says, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. You know, it's interesting The cloud of God's presence didn't show up when they put the ark in. The cloud of God's presence didn't show up when they made a bunch of sacrifices. The cloud of God's presence came when they worshiped. When they exalted God for who he was, when they said, God, we're going to put you in the rightful place, in the center of our lives, and then we're going to come and worship, that's when they experienced the glory of God. I think the same applies to us today. That when we come in worship to God, when we come and say, God, I open my mouth, I lift a song, God, you are good. Your love endures forever. Man, God shows up. So that whole thing happens. Sam, Solomon is standing right about here as all the priests come out and the singers come out. And he turns to God. He's facing the temple. And he says this in chapter 6. He says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. You see, God filled this place with a cloud. And what the Israelites had experienced ahead of time is that when God would show up, he would, often, he would cover himself in a cloud because he said this, nobody can see my glory and live. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there's all these stories of prophet, priests and prophets, and there would be this encounter where God shows up, this big thick cloud, and God is obscuring the view. Why? Because you die. If you see him, you die. And Solomon says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick garden, darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Solomon is saying, God, my dad, my daddy wanted to make you a place that you could live, a place where you'd be worshipped. We really want to know you. And I built the house. My prayer is, would you show up here? You know, 
for all of his preparation, the three to six billion dollars that he spent, all the people that trained, it all now hinged on a simple thing. God, would you come? And he lifts that prayer to God. And guys, that's, that's really the cry in this place too. God, we, we want to prepare our hearts. We want to prepare our lives. But God, would you come? Would you show up? Because if, if he doesn't come, it's just a nice building, a bunch of people with nice clothes on, trying to do nice things, but it's the presence of God in our lives that changes anything. And after this, he turns and he blesses the people. He turns away from the temple and he blesses the people. And you guys, this is an example of our relationship with God, where we turn and we say, God, I seek your face. God, would you dwell with me? And then we turn around and now we're blessing the people. And this is the reality of every Christian that we're called to, a place where we say, oh God, would you be here? Oh God, would you bless the people? And in your workplace and in your life, wherever you are, this is the thing that God has for you as as the people of God to say, oh God, we love you. God, we worship you. God, I'm here. Oh God, would you touch my workplace? God, would you work in my family? Lord, I bless them. And this is the posture that we have. And all of chapter six, Solomon now cries out and he makes a dedication to God. And he simply says this, God, he actually says that he started praying, standing, and then halfway through, he's kneeling next to the altar. And he says this, God, there's nobody like you in heaven and earth that keeps your covenant and showing your steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And then he goes on and he basically says, hey, God. I know we're going to mess it up because everyone falls short. And God, when we do, can you make me a promise? Would you hear our prayer to you when we turn our face back to you? God, would you, would you talk to us when, when we turn our face? Would you, when we turn back and turn from our wicked ways, God, would you hear us? And for all of chapter six, he's just going off and he's saying this. And at the end of the chapter, still on his knees, he turns his heart back to God and he says this, and now arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O God, don't turn away your face from us. And isn't that our prayer today? God, don't turn away. God, we need your help. We need your mercy. In the beginning of chapter 7, it says this, as soon as Solomon finished his praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God shows up twice in these two passages. Shows up once when everyone's in worship and saying, oh God, you're good. Your love endures forever. When we make much of who God is, he shows up. And secondly, he comes to the humble prayer of a man who knows he isn't perfect and a people he knows are not perfect. And he says, God, would you hear us when we turn our face and our hearts back to you? And God confirms that he would do it by sending a fire down upon them. 
in the New Testament, it's pretty interesting because Jesus says, now it's not a place that it's a temple, it's you. And Jesus says, after um, he goes to heaven, he says, look, go to Jerusalem, stay there. These 120 believers sit in a room and they're basically told to wait that God would come. And it says this, that fire falls from heaven. Romans 12 says this, that you now are a living sacrifice unto God. Solomon comes and he prays and he says, God, would you hear us? God, would you come? Fire falls. These 120, they're sitting in a room saying, God, would you show up? God, would you come? Fire falls. And that fire on their life, that fire on their heart was the mark of God to say, God, I want, God wants to move in and through you. I want to change the world. This is not just a fire for ourselves. It's a fire that says this, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. So they dedicate the temple. Get this. They sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Think how long that took. 120,000 sheep? How do you like to be on that job? And then they had a party for seven days. And they celebrated that God is good. His love endures forever for seven days. And then all the people went home and they rejoiced because God had said, I'm going to come. Where's John Krause? Hey, John, could you come? If you got a Bible, there's my whole introduction. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 11. You might need a, you have the, um, the mic. There we go. Thanks, love. There you go. And when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and he had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among them, my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Three to six billion dollars, 120,000 sheep sacrificed, 22,000 oxen. Solomon was all in. God saw Solomon's heart. God, I want you. We need you. If your presence isn't with us, we don't have what it takes. God, help us. And God's reply to Solomon in the middle of the night, probably a dream, was, okay, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to make this a place where you, if you as your hearts turn towards me, you will, exp- you will receive healing. And it even said this in verse 14, and this is where I want to, this is what I want us all to remember. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. 
Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear, heal their land. If my people who are called by my name, who are God's people? Well, those who have been grafted in. Did you know that God picks us? We sometimes can oversimplify the reality that to know God, it's, not, it's kind of a big deal. That, that God actually does not hear the prayer of every person. God hears the prayers of those who turn their hearts towards him. It actually says in the Bible that if you do not forgive, your, your sins actually cannot be forgiven. It even says to this, the men who are married, that if you aren't in right relationship with your wife, God will actually not hear your prayers. Sin separates us from the voice of God. And sometimes we can be in a place and crying out, oh God, hear me. And God says, turn your heart back. And we're like, God, where are you? And he says, you're looking the opposite direction. Turn your heart back. God is near to everyone who seeks him in truth and humility. But when I resist God and I say, God, I'm going to do it my way, there's a wall of separation between me and him. Not of God's doing, but of my doing. And I am stepping away. And God says, if you want me to heal you, heal your land, work in your midst, do the good thing I told you to do. What was the last thing you remember God telling you to do? Are you doing it? That is repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humble. You know what that word humble means? The word humble means to submit, full stop, listen, nothing's moving. Sometimes God has to humble us. I'd rather humble myself than have God humble me. Anybody with me? If my people who are called by my name will come to a full stop, wait a minute, something's not right. We got to change. Something has to shift. You guys have probably heard the saying, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. If you're doing, if if what you're doing, whatever you're doing, you're going to get the exact same results last week or this week as you got last week if you continue what you're doing. Are you living a life that you're called to live. You have to stop and say, God, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I love the story, Jesus tells it, between a priest and a tax collector. They both come to the temple. They turn towards God. And the priest says, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast, I do all these things, I pray, I do all the what? sacrifices. Thank you, God, that I'm good. The tax collector stands afar off and he says this. He doesn't even lift his head towards heaven and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of the two went home justified that day? The humble one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I looked up that word pray and you think it just means talk to God, but actually it meant a little more than that. The word prayer actually meant intercede. And the word intercede has to do a lot more than just about me and my life 
and what's going on and whether I got the job promotion or whether I like my relationships or whatever. No, if my people who are called by my name will come to a full stop and intercede. Let me read you a stat. This, this blew me away. In Bellingham in 2019, there was 700 homeless people in our city. In 2020, there was 707. In 2021, there was 859. 2022, it's up significantly from there. Could it be that the healing that we want to see in our land is directly tied to God's people coming to a full stop and praying? That we would pray for our neighbors and their marriage and their life. That we would pray for the broken and the downcast around us. Could it be that our prayer life needs to shift a little bit from, oh God, help me, to, oh God, have mercy on us? If my people who are called by my name will come to a full stop and intercede for their city, for their neighbor, for their family, for their world, See, because God's people is what? Like Solomon, standing before God. God, I made you a place. I, I spent lavishly for it. And then he turned and he said, God, would you be here with us? And he turned and he said, oh, God, would you bless the people? And that's the only way we can be a blessing in our city is if God's blessing would flow through us. And the only way we can have that flow through us is if we would come to a full stop, gaze at him and say, God, all to you I surrender. God, would you live with me? God, would you have your way in and through my life? And now I turn, Spirit of the Lord, bless them. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to a full stop and intercede and seek my face. That word seek my face is saying basically this, crave God as a necessity. Not as an extra, not as an, wow, it's really nice when I get the goosebumps. No, crave God's presence, his relationship, his voice, his work in your life as a necessity. I was talking to a mentor friend of mine a little while ago. His name is Gerard de Tot. He's from South Africa. And he was going to Bible school. And one night during Bible school, he was talking to a friend. And the friend looked at him and said, Gerard, do you have the witness of the spirit that you are saved? And he's like, well, what are you talking about? I'm at Bible school. I'm reading the Bible. I'm studying. I'm, 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 you know, I'm here. No, no, Gerard, do you have the witness of the spirit of God in your life that things are different, that you've experienced God? And he said, well, I, actually, I don't know. And so he spent all night and he's like, God, I, I need to know that I know you. Here's my question to you. Do you know him? Like, do you know him? Do you know his personality? Do you know what he cares about? Do you, do you, have you heard him speak to you through this, that a verse lights up and you're like, oh my goodness, that's God talking to me. Do you know him? Do you crave as a necessity? I gotta know him. If my people who are called by my name will come to a full stop and intercede and seek my face, oh God, we gotta know you. And then what? Turn. I've learned, I've learned that God um, is a lot more gentler with me than I am with myself. 
but I also know that God doesn't compromise on what he says. And I found that sin in my life, when I am living a life where I'm not right with God in an area, holding on to offense, looking at something I shouldn't, um, going, whatever, whatever it is. Maybe it's God's dealing with your heart about Diet Coke, I don't know. But the point is, I'm not saying Diet Coke is a sin. I'm just saying God might talk to somebody about Diet Coke. Um, but what I found is that when I resist the voice of God in my life, it's like putting a kink in a hose. You got a garden hose and you're watering and you know when you got a kink in the hose? All the water stops flowing. And it's the same as sin in my life. There's a kink in the line. Now God's not looking at you and be like, you, you punk, I, I can't stand you, I'm angry at you, I'm blah, 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 blah. No, but what he is saying is get the kink out of the line. Because I want to flow through you. I want to I bless your family. I want to fl- work in you. But you got to get the kink out of the line in your life. That means in my entertainment choices, in my world, all that I am, God is just basically saying, have you dealt, have you turned away from the things that hinder relationship with me? Why? Because it's not just about you and me. It's about a city that God wants to reach through you and I. We're meant to be a conduit of God's joy, his presence, his word, his wisdom. But if there's a kink in a line, the water gets choked off. Make sense? It separates us. If my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways. Without turning, we can't receive. If I don't do what God is asking me to do, I can't receive from him. Not that he's playing hard to get, but that's just how it works. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Would they turn from their wicked ways? Then I will hear. Until I turn, he does not hear. But when I turn, he's right there. God responds to the humble heart like Solomon that sits there and says, oh God, We're probably going to mess up. Help. And he says, oh, I definitely want to. I'm not expecting you to be perfect. I am expecting you to seek my face. And I have found that when I seek God's face, he helps me turn. Because our our desires need to change. Our focus needs to change. I was realizing this last week. I was getting all stressed out about something, and God was dealing with my heart. He's like, Jeremy, you're walking in fear. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're like, you're afraid that this and this won't work out. That means you're not trusting me in an area. And I was like, oh, that's right. God, you said you would work out all things for my good. So that means fear has no reason for my life. God, I turn from anxiety. I let it go. And then my heart and mind was free to receive what God had. But if I clung to, oh no, what am I gonna do? There's a kink in the hose. It's a little harder for me to operate with God. Why? I'm stressed out and I'm not able, I'm not flowing with God. Does that make sense? Turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. That means to not count it against you. Slate clean, debt paid, never brought up again. And then this last bit, heal their land. Whatcom County needs a lot of healing. Solomon turned towards God and said, God, I want to make you a temple. I built you this house. I spent all this money. And God, you said that you're, how could even you dwell in a little house? God, you you can't even, you're, you're bigger than the universe. How could you even dwell here? But nevertheless, God, would you hear us when we turn our hearts towards you? 
And then he turned, he blessed the people. God's presence filled the house. God's presence, fire fall when they cried out and said, God have mercy. This is what God wants to do in my life and in your life in our world. That he would, his presence would fill us. His fire would fall on our hearts, on our spirits, and that there would be a blessing that would flow through us to the city. I titled today's message, Turning to Health. Why? Because sometimes there's these simple things where God is speaking to us about our habits, our life, and all these things, and it is a kink in the hose separating us from what God wants to do in us and through us. And it's just a simple turn. We realign ourselves with God's heart and God's ways. His spirit now can flow in and through us. Is there any spaces in your heart where God is just simply saying, I want you to turn. And if you would turn, I would heal you. I would heal your land. I'd work in your family. But first comes the turning. First comes maybe the difficult conversation that you've been putting off. First comes maybe canceling your Netflix subscription. First comes that space of saying, God, here's my offenses, my heart, my, my struggles, all that I am. Come and just simply say, God, I'm seeking your face. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Politicians aren't going to save us. Our YouTube theologians aren't going to save us. Will Smith isn't going to save us. <laughs> the other second point I wanted to make is this. God sees you right now, and he says, I pick you. He died on the cross for you long before you made any decisions, but fully knowing every decision you would make, every space that you would fail, fall, get frustrated, get stressed out, wander, and whatever. And he says, I'm signing up for that. I'm signing up for Jeremy Schwader. He's a piece of work, but I still like him. He's worth it. I give my, he gave himself for you and I saying, I fully know you. I fully see you in all of your flaws and all your places where you're like, I am so disqualified. He's like, yes, but I qualify you. Simply come and turn. And then we come to God and we say, God, here's my life, all that I have. I'm making you a place, God, in my heart. You feel bigger than the universe. I don't know how you could fit in here, but somehow you make it work. And then he wants us to be able to turn and he wants to flow through us like a hose and he wants us to be able to bless the people around us. Angela, God has such blessing that he wants to flow through you as you go to YWAM. And it's not about how much we know, it's about whom we know. And that when he speaks to us, we say, oh God, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow your lead. Lord, we just simply, uh, we cry out to you and we just say, God, have your way in our hearts. Have your way in all that we are. We turn to you and we just say, God, make us a place that you would dwell. Thank you that you want to live there. And we just say, um, God, we're willing and we're ready that you would have your way in and through us. Heal every heart. 
And Lord, heal our land, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Bless you. Have an amazing week. Amen.